Well, welcome to episode two of Let's Ask an Expert, podcast hosted by a novice host asking above average questions to expert guests. I am your host, Andrew Smith, and we have an expert on the show today in the field of sports writing. I actually jumped ahead just a second to say that follow the podcast on social media on Facebook and let's search let's ask an expert Twitter once we get the account unlocked by hopefully by the time that this episode airs it will be I did a really dumb thing and I put in I decided to be cute and I put in uh for my birthday the show the date that the show was created so that made Twitter believe I was one years old and so they locked the account so we're trying to get that unlocked it'll be at let's ask an expert Instagram by the same handle and eventually on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you find expert podcasts. Uh, but let's waste no more of your time. Let's bring on our expert guest today. He's an expert, as I said, in the field of sports writing. Um, has been doing it for quite a while. Been writing for the Springfield News Sun and the Dayton Daily News in Dayton, Dale, Dayton Ohio, uh, for a better part of 19 years. And has covered the University of Dayton sports scene, University of Ohio State football team, the Cincinnati Reds, just to name a few the things he done he has done and he teaches a high school journalism class at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, where he attended college. Please welcome my guest at this time, David Jablonski. David, welcome to the show. Hi Andrew, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I invite all my guests on Let's Ask an Expert to have a drink with me because we're just we're having fun, right? It's a little it's a casual time. And so it could be alcoholic, non-alcoholic, juice tea. What is it? Kombucha? Whatever you want. Um, what did you decide to go with today? I have a Camp IPA from the Rock Mill Brewery in Lancaster. They also have a, a, a brew pub downtown in the German Village. So, uh, yeah, I was well prepared when you asked me to get a beer. I had a couple options. Excellent. Excellent. It'll be your, your thirst will be quenched um, in, in a different way. I have, I was finishing off a glass of, uh, Bullet bourbon with um, a couple ice cubes in there just before we got started. Just to loosen up, I have a Coke Zero, and I have a uh, a Kroger water, so I am I'm well stocked as well. <laughs> that sounds I, good. I like the bourbon at least. Yes. Um, everything else, eh, whatever, right? Yeah, you know, um, I, can, I, I can drink water at any time of day. Exactly, exactly. But this is this is when we loosen up. Here you got a, a good bit. mixture, right? I do. Um, Dave, tell uh, tell the audience where it is you are from and or and or currently reside. Uh, originally, I'm from um, Mount Orb, Ohio, which is East Cincinnati, out in the country, but you know within driving distance of downtown. Um, but my family, a lot of it is from uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, my parents both graduated from Alter. Um, right now, of course, I, I should say I grew up in Mount Orb, lived there until I was 18. So uh, that's still my hometown, although I went to high school in a little, even smaller town called Fayetteville, uh, right up the road from Mount Orb, um, south of Wilmington. So, but right now I'm in uh, Columbus, uh, the Bexley area. Uh, my wife works at the Columbus Dispatch, so we've been here since 2013, and it's been a lot of commuting back and forth. Although I'm lucky, I don't work in an office. You know, sometimes I'll go into the office to write a story, but I haven't had a desk in an office in eight or nine years, I think. So this whole uh, quarantine business of working at home hasn't been a a huge change for me, although I write most of my stories uh, over the years in coffee shops or arenas, pretty much anywhere other than an office, and a lot of stories at home, which I'm doing right now. So uh, 
yeah, right now I'm on my uh, back porch. It was a nice night out. Um, tomorrow is going to be even nicer for a nice backyard deck sit. So, uh, uh, yeah, we got, we got a nice little house here for, uh, for, uh, staying at home. <laughs> Where is the most unique or strangest place you have ever written a story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I write a lot of stories in my car, especially these days, because we have a 20 month old at home and if we're at home and the babysitter has him and he knows we're at home, it's a little bit harder for the babysitter. So often I'll just drive to the park and write my story in my car, making sure I have a very good uh, charge on my laptop so I can get it go for a couple hours. Um, <laughs> um, the weirdest place though, boy, I don't know. I've written up a lot of rest stops in my car, gas station, parking lots, uh, pretty much anywhere between here and Dayton because oftentimes I'll be on the road somewhere and, you know, a story will break. Sometimes I'll know it's coming and I'll pull over ahead of time. Um, so a lot of them, I have specific memories of where I was when I, when I wrote this a story, um, you know, when Dayton drew Ohio state in 2014, I remember I was in the parking lot of the antiques, the big antique store in Springfield, right off of uh, route 70, one of those stores. So I have a lot of spe- very specific memories like that. As far as really weird ones, I'd have to dig my memory. I'm sure there are some better ones than that. Um, so it, <laughs> the rest stop thing that that's interesting. At least it wasn't from like the bathroom of a, uh, of, of a rest stop or something. Believe me, the job got a lot better when all the phones became Wi-Fi hotspots. So much easier than it was uh, when I started in this business. That was such an ordeal finding a Wi-Fi back in the day or even going farther back, you would have to connect to a uh, fax machine um, and send over, um, you know, their internet connection um, going way back when you had the, uh, the dial up uh, connection, which was a total pain. So, Amazing how much that has changed and how much for the better it is. Absolutely. Definitely technology making making your job, making everyone's job a lot easier in that regard. Um let's so let's get it let's get into it a little bit here. We um established you're an expert uh sports writer, and as such, you interview coaches and athletes quite a bit. What would you say do you remember a time when you were given one of your most unique quotes? by an athlete or a coach. You remember what that was, who, who said something that really just kind of either shocked you, surprised you, um, or was really headline worthy or lead worthy, or did you have one that kind of just like really stands out? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, cause it's such, so hard to come up with good quotes these days. It seems like, um, you know, more than specific quotes, you remember people who are good, at giving you good quotes, funny quotes, or, um, you know, unique quotes and not just coach speak. Cause you know, it seems like 75% of the, the quotes you're going to get are, are that, um, uh, Joe Fincham, the Wittenberg football coach who I've talked to as much as any coach in my career, because I've been covering his team for, is it 18 or 19 seasons? Um, there'll be 19, yeah, 19 seasons this year, assuming we have football, which, you know, it's a big question right now. Um, so he, he's always a fun quote. Um, good guy to talk to and, you know, doesn't give you just the normal stuff and comes up with stuff off the top of his head that you remember. Although right now coming, nothing as specifically is coming to mind. It's just a lot of fun stuff over the years that make him a good quote. Um, you know, Archie Miller was a very good quote. I would say, you know, a lot of, one of those guys who you knew necessarily didn't really love doing media stuff, but was really good at it. Um, I can remember his quote after the, the 2015 season when Dayton won uh, 
you know, had a really good season, 27 wins with basically a seven man team. One of them was a walk on. And after the final game and they lost to Oklahoma, he's talking, just had a very um, poignant quote about, you know, no team will ever do this again, which, you know, probably isn't true. I'm sure somebody will come up with something like that, but it was a really good quote. Um, I put it on the back of the, the book, the picture book I made after the season, uh, book of photos and stories from that season. Uh, it was such a good quote. I had to stand out in that way. So, yeah. Um, as far as other people I talked to on a, you know, regular basis, a lot of the reds are pretty good quotes. I mean, Joey Votto is a, you just never know what you're going to get with him, but you know, he's a, you know, he really thinks about what he's saying and he can give you good stuff. So you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned coach speak, right. And that's, that's gotta be at times just kind of tough to, to listen to because that's, that's what you're given. And it's like, uh, so what are the key components as a reporter, as a, as a writer to really, what do you do when you're interviewing people to really draw out as best you can those, those juicy headline worthy quotes? Uh, do you use any kind of, you know, interviewing techniques that, that lead to that? Um, I don't know. Some of these, so many guys are so well trained these days to, uh, you know, to not give you anything that's going to be in a headline. Um, you know, I guess you can try to get specific stuff, but even that, you know, for certain coaches, you know, veteran players who are interviewed all the time, you know, they're, they're, they know what they're doing and they're, they're not going to give the the other team bulletin board material and they're not going to say something that might make their coach angry. And, you know, it's, it's almost up to them because there's a million ways you can ask it, but you're probably going to get the same answers. Uh, you know, Anthony Grant from the new, the, the current Dayton coaches, you know, really good at that. He's been doing this a long time and he knows what he's doing and you can ask him a million different ways sometimes, but you're, you're going to get the same response because, um, you know, he's, he's determined to, you know, to control the message with his team. And uh, not that, not that, you know, sometimes he gives you really good quotes, but sometimes, you know, you're trying to get specifics about, you know, I don't know, talk about recruiting or something like that. You know, you're probably not going to get anything no matter how, how, how well you ask it. How did you learn to ask, you know, insightful, good, smart questions as best as, as often as you can um, to produce the best possible quotes? Because as you said, you can ask a question a number of different ways, but they can kind of just stonewall you a little bit and just say, eh, you know, I'm going to give you this answer no matter what. But uh, to make your writing more kind of three-dimensional, more robust, how have you learned throughout the years of sitting in press conferences um, or interviewing players and coaches to ask those really good questions that hopefully lead to those great quotes? Well, just practice, I guess. I wouldn't say I'm still the best at it um, because you're often limited by time. You know, after a game, you may not have the a lot of time or access to. You may only have access to a couple guys and maybe – you could probably track down others if you had time, but uh, you know all, all these things limit you. But um, as far as action, asking the best questions, I wouldn't say I'm the best interview in the world, so um, I do my best. But um, just practice being in different, different, you know, environments, different games, different seasons, you know, different guys. Also, you know, when you're asking these questions, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're you got to think about the relationship you have with these people too. So you don't want to. Um, 
you know, you, like I said, you could ask the same question a million different ways, but you don't want to do that. I mean, if they answered, you know, unless it's some controversial topic, I mean, just, just let it go. If you don't get the answer you want, I guess. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, some guy, Tom Archdeacon is probably a lot better than at it than me and always will be. But, uh, uh, I think I, I, you know, I get what I need, you know, <laughs> I remember back in the day being nervous at the start of every interview, you know, 1996, when I was getting my start, you would hesitate before making a phone call. Uh, my very first story was on the, the designer of the, the new Ohio university logo, the attack cat, which I think they still use. Um, and I remember just waiting before dialing, you know, you're so nervous. Um, and I don't get like that nowadays unless it's, you know, unless you have to call somebody who's, son just died, which I've had to do a couple times over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Situations like that. Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, still make you nervous. Have you ever been intimidated by the, the idea or the opportunity to interview a coach or a player? Um, no, I don't think so. Some, some guys you probably, uh, approach a little bit differently. Um, I can't remember being intimidated by anybody. Um, Feather in your cap, though, right? I mean, for having yeah, said that. I mean, right? if I had interviewed Bob Knight, I probably would be. <laughs> Guys who are notoriously, uh, well, not right now, but I mean, if, if it had happened back in the day, uh, I probably was intimidated earlier in my career by certain uh, situations. But uh, trying to think of where that might have happened. You know, I remember uh, first Major League Baseball game I covered, I was an intern for the South Bend Tribune. Uh, this is just before my senior year in college. They sent me up to cover uh, Cubs Mets doubleheader at Wrigley. You know, not because they covered a lot of you know, daily games there, but just to give the intern uh, something fun to do. And it was right there in the middle of the McGuire Sosa uh, big home run chase of '98. Where they, you know, they both broke or McGuire broke the record, and Sosa was right there with him. And I, but I, I had the guts to go down and ask Sammy Sosa for an interview. I don't know if I would, knowing how it works these days. I mean. Uh, you know, the, the new guys don't often get those kind of interviews, but it wasn't a great interview. It probably wasn't a great story, but it was certainly a, a memorable ex- experience. Um, so, yeah. But you, you've, and you've been in a lot of, you've been in a lot of these, um, these press conferences along with other reporters. I have to ask, having been a journalist for a little bit of time myself and covered sports, a lot of times, maybe not a lot of times, but at least sometimes at press conferences, you will hear other reporters ask a question that is framed or a statement framed as a question. And the common example would be, coach, talk about defensive adjustments you made in the second half when that's not really a question. Are these types of questions beneficial to, to I mean, to the reporters that ask them? And are they, do you, do you notice that a lot? That I mean, I'm not asking you to put anyone like right on the spot or anything or calling one out, but just... I, I listen to a lot of you listen to like NBA finals press conferences, that sort of thing. And they'll just say like, uh, talk about the effort there in the third quarter. I don't really know. That's a question. <laughs> of course I've heard the, uh, people talk about the talk about for years now. I don't know when it started, but, and it's become certainly more common these days for reporters to use that. It doesn't bother me at all. It's just a different way of asking a question. It's basically, how did you feel about that? Instead, they're saying, talk about it. It's the same question. You know, it's just a different way of phrasing it. Um, yeah, it comes across as maybe not as professional. It doesn't sound as good, especially if you use it all the time. And then there are certainly people who, who 
you start every question with talk about, and that, that can be a problem. It's a little bit of annoying, but uh, as long as you're using it every once in a while, just as a different way to ask a question, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and, you know, we are asking, I mean, it doesn't have to be a question. Uh, the press conference can be a conversation and, um, you know, depends on how the coach answers it too. Uh, you know, talk about what you were doing, you know, in that situation late in the game, perfectly fine questions, but if you get a good answer, um, you know, little things like that, uh, you know, I would say I'm more bothered by like the really long questions in a press conference. Just find a way to ask your questions short and succinctly. Um, but you know, honestly, none of it really bothers me too much. <laughs> sure. No, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've heard probably all of it. Um, this show then may bother you a little bit in the form in which I, I pose these questions. Because no, this is more of a, a casual, like podcasts are supposed to be like this, a press conference. Now, you know, we're all trying to get in and out of there. So uh, let's, let's do our best to be uh, concise. Right. My deadline's not until next week. So sure. I'm good. This is a lot, <laughs> lot different than that situation. Yes. Um, your training. We, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, you went to Ohio university um, and they have a journalism school. They're a very good one at that. How beneficial was that to your growth as a sports writer uh, reporter um, to get that education and get that training at OU? Well, that experience was everything. I didn't have any connection to the newspaper or media world. Had zero experience other than a couple stories on the soccer team. I wrote for the yearbook as a senior. Um, I didn't really know I was preparing my whole life for this job by reading Sports Illustrated and reading a lot in general and becoming a huge sports fan and going to all these conference tournaments with my dad uh, when the Bearcats were in their glory days in the Huggins years in the 90s. Who knew I was going to be doing that every year for my job? I certainly didn't know then, but it turned out to be a good experience. I even went to a tournament in Hawaii with my dad as a senior in high school. And then, you know, last November I was in Maui covering the Maui Invitational. So now, it was Dave, all, Dave it was, this is about let's ask an expert, not let's, let, let's brag about uh, the trip you took or something. <laughs> hey, that was the, the last hurrah considering where we're at now. So let me have it. <laughs> no, I'm I, by all means. I, yeah, I would no, no, no. Ohio U was you know, just a great experience, but even more than the journalism school, it was the student newspaper there that, uh, um, set me off on my uh, career path. Just, uh, so much, uh, freedom to do what you want there and learn on the fly. Uh, I started off, uh, wrote a couple stories at the end of my freshman year. I mentioned the, the one, on the, the logo, that was my very first. I covered like a 5K, uh, a couple other stories, and that led to getting a writing position, staff writing position uh, the following fall as a, the start of my sophomore year. And, you know, we had like a 10- or 12-man staff. You know, every sport at OU had its own beat writer. You know, we were publishing wow. five days a week. Uh, this was, you know, 90, 1996. And uh, so my first beat was men's cross-country. We even had a women's cross-country writer. So you wrote like two – probably three stories a week, uh, which is kind of crazy now that the, you know, even the daily news, daily news itself has basically three writers. Um, so I covered, uh, yeah, men's cross country wrestling. And then I did a column at the end of my sophomore year, like a weekly column, which was a great experience. It was, you know, forced you to be creative and think up of ideas. I remember going to the first staff meeting at the post and not even understanding what, a story angle was I had zero clue about what I was doing. And when I sat down to write that first story, I had another newspaper next to me so I could uh, 
get the quote marks right and the punctuation right? You know, where do you, you know, how long is a paragraph? Uh, you know, how often do you use a quote? Things like that I had no idea about and just learned on the fly because of the great student newspaper experience. Um, but OU was also very good at uh, setting you up for th- internship opportunities. I mean, you had to pursue them yourself, but they, you know, the first internship I got in Fort Wayne, Indiana at the Journal Gazette, the sports editor came down to OU to interview candidates. And, you know, I got that one that led to the second one in South Bend. The third one I did uh, after graduation in Washington, D.C. at the Scripps Hour News Service. So, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better college experience uh, at OU. And, and for those who don't know, those who are not in the news business or the sports writing um, business field, um, and that, that's kind of how it goes, right? I mean, it, those, those little opportunities are the ones you absolutely have to take right, to build to something else, to build to something else, where if you were to want to land at a Sports Illustrated at, at its time or um, whatever your goal would be big time, it is uh, these smaller gigs, right, that, you know, ultimately lead to that. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, that is certainly the traditional career path. There it was back in the day when I started, you would do internships, you would get a job at a smaller paper covering high school sports. My first full-time job uh, was at the the Press Journal in Vero Beach, Florida, uh, a Scripps paper. So I kind of got that from, for a couple of reasons, um, the sports editor I worked with in Fort Wayne at my first internship. And also another reason I was interning with Scripps in DC. So I had a little bit of connection to the other Scripps papers. So um, yeah, you know, pretty small paper. Not, not the smallest by far. I remember interviewing with a paper in uh, Augusta, Maine, capital of Maine, while I was interning in D.C. And the guy's like, well, you might be overqualified. I haven't done three internships for to work at such a small paper. And that was probably under 10,000, whereas uh, the Press Journal was, you know, 20 to 30,000. So a small to medium sized paper. Who knows what it is nationally? I don't think the Press Journal itself even exists right now. I can't I can't remember. They, I think they combined some some papers down there. Um, to the Treasure Coast newspapers, maybe. So, um, yeah, that was a long time ago. You see guys today doing big beats just a couple years into the business because they're cheap and affordable, and you know you can more easily make that jump. On the other hand, there are obviously a lot, many fewer jobs out there in total. So uh, it would be a big leap of faith to go to sports writing these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. The I mean, it's been well documented. Uh, the struggles of the news industry and and um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, when you know for a while now, and in, in your in your career, you, you've been able to now give back to your alma mater in in the form of of teaching and instructing these up and coming um, journalists at this high school journalism workshop at Ohio University. Um, what's what's kind of some of the goals of this workshop that that you 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 instruct at other than simply making them just better overall writers and journalists. Yeah. Um, we, I think we've done it five years, my wife and I, uh, she's also an OU graduate. Um, and it came about, I mentioned, um, the sports editor from Fort Wayne who, uh, came down to Athens, you know, my sophomore year or end of my sophomore year and gave me that first internship, uh, justice Hill. He, um, I ran into him on campus, I don't know, six or seven years ago, he was back at OU teaching and he invited us down to this workshop, the following year. And it's got a long tradition at the university went away for a few years and then they brought it back, but you know, it goes all the way back to the forties and fifties. So 
we it's evolved a little bit in the five years we've done it. We're not doing it this year. It was already it was just canceled uh, because of the the pandemic, obviously. But uh, you get a group of kids on your track, so like there's probably fifteen to twenty kids in our sports riding group, and I'm working with another sports rider, uh, uh, Mike Merritt from the Associated Press. We've done it three or four years, four times at least, um, and you take them through. You talk to them a lot of, about a lot of different things in your career, um, give them advice about journalism. And not all these kids are going into journalism. Some are just at the, the workshop for fun or because their school wanted them to go. But some of them are be going straight into to college in the fall. So it's a mixture of uh, people. And you, you, walk, you take them uh, through the process of a story. They each get different stories assigned to them, sometime about the, uh, the college baseball team the, that plays there in the summer. Uh, we do a lot of features on those over the years on that team over the years. Um, so you talk to them about um, how to write the story, how to prepare for the interviews. Um, then they sit down and write them and you um, give them advice throughout the process and edit it at the end. So um, yeah, a lot of different things going in, going into it. And then they have different um, speeches throughout the week that they go to that we don't go to. But for us, it's a fun time. You get to go down to Athens for a, uh, three nights at the OUN and, uh, you know, really get to, uh, immerse yourself in Athens again, which we didn't get to, which we weren't able to do for, you know, 20 years after graduating. How rewarding of, a, of an experience is that to, to be able to teach and give back? Uh, it's been that? pretty cool. Cause you see some guys, uh, some students who already are, uh, that we taught, you know, five years ago are already through college and maybe getting jobs already. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, been pretty interesting and, you know, maybe these people might be giving me jobs someday. So um, it's always good to get back like that. And I've gone down to speak a couple other times for various things. Um, and definitely have tried to do all I can for uh, some young journalists out there. Um, I, every, every year at uh, UD Games, I have one or two students uh, job shadow me um, at games where I just, you know, talk to them about my job and they see what I do beforehand. I'm kind of too busy during the game to really talk to them, but they come to the press conference afterwards and we talk again. Uh, a kid from uh, Ponitz, David Jordan, did it the last two years with me. So it'll be fun to see if, uh, you know, what he does if he ends up going into media like he plans. Um, and maybe he'll, uh, you know, use that experience as a springboard to do something uh, in college and beyond. And you've obviously, you know, through this and, and through – working all over the place you've, you've met a lot of and trained with a lot of budding journalists throughout your career but what are some of the things that you you find that younger journalists need to focus most of their time improving upon what are some of their we'll call them leaks necessarily but just things that they're areas that they're not as strong in um even especially lately as you know things have obviously say pivoted but we've been pivoting to journal to digital for a while, but, but it's been there, but you know, uh, the, the way the reporting has changed, but how, so what are some of the things that you've realized or seen that kind of um, younger journalists have kind of needed to strengthen and right out of the gate? Well, these days you have, certainly have to be prepared to do it all. Um, I'm a reporter. That's what I trained for at OU. That's pretty much all I did up until 2007 when they gave us video cameras at the new sun and say, Hey, play around with these, see what you can do. We have the ability now to put video on our website. Um, and I ran with that. I love doing that. 
Um, I did a little bit. I, I remember I made a video yearbook in high school. Um, so I had very little editing experience. But so we started doing that uh, summer of 27, uh, 2007. Adam Eaton, the, who's now the Nationals center fielder, just won the World Series. Um, he was a senior on the Kent Ridge baseball team. They went over to the state tournament, uh, lost in the state championship game. But I um, remember late that season, I started taking a video camera to every game and putting highlights together using iMovie. Uh, after the game, after I did my writing, of course. Um, so it started from there, and I just started taking it to every game, and I would do that for high school games, Wittenberg games. That's what I was covering back then. Um, wasn't covering the, the real big s- schools yet. Um, and uh, it became pretty uh, pretty easy, although back then it wasn't as easy as it is now doing it on my iPhone. So I didn't add the photography part of it until – I was covering Wright State in the uh, 2012-13 season, uh, and really not until like January of that season. That's when I got my first real camera. I mentioned my wife as a photographer, so she gave me some tips. I Googled the rest and learned by trial and error, which you can do with a, uh, a fancy digital camera. I wouldn't have been able to do that 20 years ago with uh, film. I would have ran through a lot of wasted film trying to figure out how to shoot <laughs> good photos. But um, So, yeah, it became a – Huge part of my job, the photos now. Ever since, every game since that 2012 season, 2012-13 season, I have shot thousands and thousands of photos. Um, and I love it. And, you know, I'm not saying every writer, sports writer needs to do that. You know, very few of them do it. At this level, you see it a lot at the smaller papers. Um, you know, none of the other beat writers that I know uh, take photos. And certainly they don't also take video uh, which I continue to do by uh, my little contraption. I have my cell phone situated on the end of the camera lens, so anytime the flyers or whoever I'm covering um, is coming straight at me, I put hit record, so I'm shooting photos and video at the same time. It's a it's a good thing for the website. It's also a, kind of a like digital note taking because I can go back and review a play right away, see what happened. So uh, it's just and mostly it's a lot of fun. That's why I do it. That's uh, that's actually really kind of a genius I, i've wondered through following your stuff on on twitter and instagram how you're able to pull off certain things like does this guy have a third arm or something that i don't i don't know <laughs> i shut it off or... a few times on twitter but it's it's a contraption i created uh like a gopro mount um uh, a couple other different pieces and i think there are probably things you can actually buy as one unit these days and i have seen a couple other people do it um but, uh, yeah, I remember covering a Dayton game. Kyle Davis made a buzzer beater against Miami, and I had all the photos, of course. I was like, well, it would be cool. I, I kind of had the thought in my head, like, put a le- camera on the end of the lens and probably get both at the same time. And I started with a GoPro, um, and, th- and that worked kind of, but it's almost too wide for basketball or, or pretty much anything else. They have to be really close to you for it to look good. And they ended up being the uh, – iPhone was much better and you can edit it really fast after a game. I could put together a whole highlight of a whole game, whole highlight footage in, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes. So uh, yeah, it's really cool. You can't do it at like the Reds games because they own those rights and they'll come down on you hard if you use any sort of video. Um, yeah. The yeah. express written consent of major league baseball. Oh, of course. Yeah, man. Even an interview, they don't like those being up on the website for more than two, two or three days. Uh, and probably, technically, I'm sure some of the, like when Dayton's on ESPN, they could probably come down on me, but nobody ever has. So I'm going to keep doing it until they say anything. Let's uh, transition into 
the the writing itself, um, the answer to this question is probably it, you know, through trial and error and through experience, but how do you get better at writing a strong, compelling lead to a sports story? Because there's a lot of ways to go and you have more flexibility with sports writing uh, than you do with traditional news writing. Um, how have you learned to draw your audience in quickly with your writing? Oh, I was probably better at it 15 years ago. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> once you've been doing it for this long, sometimes it's about uh, the speed of getting the story done too. So it's not like I'm uh, sitting on a lead and pondering it for five minutes these days. I got to get it done fast, especially with a toddler at home. <laughs> sometimes I'm fitting in stories uh, between uh, uh, in, in 10 minute gaps where he's watching TV right now. No, um, you know, you just look for unique things that'll draw a reader into a story. Um you know, it could be a quote that you like, um, could be a anecdote. Um, certainly if you can take the reader to the scene, show them something that they wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Um, that's always key. Certainly try to do that, you know, with the date and cover, especially when I'm on the road and nobody else is there basically, except, you know, the Larry Hanskin, uh, from WHIO and the TV cameras obviously are there. People are watching this game back at home, but, um, you know, they don't see the things, you know, outside the locker room that you might see. Uh, I will try to work almost anything into a lead if, if I can make it interesting. Um, you know, I remember the game at Rhode Island this year it was Obi's birthday and I was talking to his mom. She had cakes for after the game. So I was like, well, if I can take a picture of the cake, I'll help you bring it in. So I did that. I'm pretty sure I worked that into the lead somehow. <laughs> um, I'll work almost anything into the lead if, I, if it's interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, you just got to make that transition to the rest of the story uh, work. I guess that's the key. Do you think that that, I mean, getting back to a question I asked you before, do you think some of that can be a little bit difficult too for new journalists, the transitions from the lead and not grab to the rest of the story, but uh, just kind of seeing like blocks. Of yeah. Information? Yeah. I mean, every story is different. You know, I read a story today about the status of fall sports, Iowa high school fall sports, you know, are they going to play football in the fall? What about the other sports, you know, what are the ADs and coaches telling their kids right now? And, you know, it's like five or six people I talk to and just organize that into a coherent story is, is challenging. Especially when you got all these different quotes and, um, you know, it's hard to find a focus sometimes, even though, you know, obviously the focus is, you know, it, will there be false sports, but there's so many different uh, angles on there at that, that, Organizing it can be a challenge. Yeah, that would be a challenge. That's always going to be a challenge, even for for old uh, old sports writers like myself. As far as far as getting better, like you asked, that is certainly a challenge. Um, I, met, I said I f probably felt like I was better f fifteen years ago, just because you feel like you've written it all and tried everything at this point. Um, I don't really try to throw in the clever one liners that I probably used to do uh, at the beginning of my career. Um, I just try to keep it simple and coherent and uh, tell a story. And, uh, you know, also I think it's, you hear people all the time talking about whether we should even be writing game stories these days because, you know, everything's on TV and you can just look at the box score and all this. And, but I think it's important for the history books, you know, people are going to go back at one someday and uh, want to know more than just the box score and, you know, the TV, um, 
telecasts is it going to be available forever so i think uh yeah i think the game story is still important and, and i mean and that i think is a conversation we could probably have another hour on but i mean it helps put people in a place and time and give them a feeling and a sense of it if they weren't there because you were right i mean that's that's kind of the the important aspect of it wouldn't you say Right. I'm using these game stories from 20 years ago all the time when I go into our archives. Um, I have a newspapers.com subscription, not just game stories, but all sorts of stories. But um, the newspapers.com subscription, they have uh, every date and daily news going back to the beginning of time, basically. And a pretty good uh, search function that lets you find uh, a lot of things pretty quickly, not just date and daily news, but most of the newspapers in this country. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure hopefully. Somebody will be looking for my stories in uh, 15 to 20 years. I'm often looking for my own stories from 15 to 20 years ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a flash drive somewhere. Um, how do you structure your writing? Like how, when, when you're covering a game, let's just say it's a University of Dayton uh, Flyers men's basketball game. Um, what is kind of your process for that as, as into whatever detail you'd like to go? Not what you're uh, in the game and all that. I but, wish I could know. say it was like a very planned and uh, coherent process, but basically the goal is get it done as fast as I can because I'm doing so many things. The photo gallery, three or f- you know two or three, sometimes four videos that go with these stories, um, other stories that go next to the game story. Uh, so it's basically, um, I think the game story is just general. You know what happened why was it important? Who was the star? What was the big play? Stuff like that. And we often organize it until to all sorts of different, uh, we, we do it in different ways, like five things to know about this game, or, uh, I'll write a preview and it'll be like five storylines going into this game. They love those type of stories these days. Or, uh, you know, sometimes I'll do different things. Like, uh, you know, I remember when Dayton had the 22 to nothing run against VCU in the first game, first VCU game this year, I'd, I went through the entire run in my story. So, you know, technically a game story, but not a traditional game story. Uh, I'll do, I'll do different things like that when, it, when, it, when it's needed. Uh, big runs are easy. Um, if there's, um, I think when they made 27 or 28 two point field goals or something, I maybe went over each shot in a story, um, stuff like that. I'll do sometimes. You've mentioned several times already that the speed you know, getting things out as quickly as you can. Have, was there ever points uh, when things ramped up to the level at which they have ramped up to now with covering sports and, and covering news that you've that you've ever felt overwhelmed? Or is that a constant feeling or do you not feel that at all? Or how do you feel? How do you feel about um, that, Dave? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Sometimes you'll get overwhelmed if you have a lot of stories piling up especially when the seasons collide back when I was covering Ohio state. Um, I don't write as much as about Ohio state anymore because Marcus Hartman has kind of taken over that and it just makes sense because anytime Ohio state and Dayton basketball ran into each other in October and November, that's when I would start to get overwhelmed because you also had other things going on. Like, you know, when football might be in the playoffs and, you know, we can't forget about you know Dayton women's basketball too. And, and high school football is, you know, reaching its peak and I would always like to contribute there. Um, I've backed off some of that stuff just because of having the kid at home. Um, I cannot, um, uh, keep up with all that stuff as like I used to, um, just don't have the, the time. Um, 
to, you know, to go past 40 hours too much. So, uh, yeah, there's some sacrifices I've made, uh, since he arrived. Um, as far as, yeah, being overwhelmed, like after a game, yeah, sure. Sometimes it can feel like, wait, it's the game was three or four hours ago and I'm still working. <laughs> I should probably get home. Um, and there are sacrifices I make in the writing just to do all the other things I do. Cause I, like I said, I don't sit and ponder stories for too long. I just start writing and whatever comes out, that's, that's the story. Um, hopefully I have time to give it a second or third read because, you know, I'm basically doing the job of three or four people after a game and cramming it into one person's shift. So, um, it's not perfect, but, um, you know, hopefully uh, the different things we've gotten over the years make up for it. Just having a amazing archive of, uh, photos, not, not just dating basketball, but all the other things I shoot, the Reds, we've got a seven years worth of great Reds, or I shouldn't say great. It's not all of them are great. Good Reds photos. Um, from what I've been able to do and lots of good high school photos too. Uh, for those listening and who, who don't otherwise know when you cover a game, you are given box score information. You're given statistics and information throughout the game. Um, and so two questions with that, because, and I, I look back to like my days of writing in at my high school newspaper. And then when I wrote at Wright state, uh, university in Dayton, Ohio, um, in sports, how do you avoid regurgitating the majority of that information into your stories? Cause I've seen, you know, younger journalists do that kind of thing and, and to know what is important to include and what not to, I mean, I know in your case, again, you may say, cause of the speed of the story, what you're getting out, what was the big plays, but, um, how do you get not too enveloped into that stuff? Yeah, you lot, just gotta right? know that giving you a lot of information. You gotta know that you don't have to put every single stat in the story. You don't have to mention every guy who scored. You might mention the guys who scored twenty. You might mention all the guys in double figures, but you don't have to. There's no there there are no rules. I mean, even the rule about getting the score in the first three gaffes, yeah, yeah, I break that all the time. Um but um I don't know. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get bogged down by numbers. Um, but uh, what does that? I mean, what does that do to the story ultimately? I don't know. Like I said, it is it is good for the history books, but you got to balance it with uh, good analysis, quotes. You know, you don't have to do a play by play. That's for sure. You can you can tell the difference between a game story that's just a play by play and. Um, Remember, people. A lot of people, depending on what you're covering, too. High school game is a lot different than than a game that's on ESPN because maybe a lot of people reading your story didn't see the high school game. So you may want to do more play by play and more stats in a story like that, or you may want to put stats in because the kids like to see their name in the paper, uh, which is never a bad thing. But you don't want to bog it down either. There's there's certainly a balance to be to find. Um, again, as we said already, you you you're, you're doing. 11 different things at once when covering games and, and just throughout your, your time in writing. Um, but one of the things I admire most about what you do and, and to the degree that you do it is that you tell a very social media friendly story, right? And that's, and that's ultra important today. How did you learn to write and sound funny and relatable yet informative all at the same time? Uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, 
because you're not cross-posting. I don't see you. You're not putting the same stuff out there. There's, how did you learn to kind of craft that voice for that? Because it's different from in those regards, on those mediums, than it is in print. How did you learn to do that? Yeah, that's, too, that's definitely true. Uh, it's a big challenge of the job. I mean, I didn't really have any Twitter followers until I started covering the flyers. I mean, cause I didn't really do a lot of tweeting before then probably started really doing a lot of tweeting when I started covering Wright state. Um, because before that it was high schools, Wittenberg, and you just didn't get a lot of, uh, feedback on it. So I didn't have a lot of followers. And once you got more followers, you start doing more tweeting and it just builds on itself. But yeah, pretty early on, I just, I'm mostly myself, but I certainly only show a certain side of myself. I don't, you know, I share all the good things about raising a toddler on Twitter. I don't, I rarely, uh, sometimes I uh, break down and, uh, share the bad things, but, uh, you know, that's, that goes for a lot of things I put out there. Um, but I try to keep it, um, my whole, uh, personality on Twitter is, um, it's, it's pretty close to my, my real personality. Uh, you know, I don't take everything, anything too seriously. I mean, I love sports, but, you know, my team loses, the Bengals lose, the Reds, you know, that was my team growing up. If they lose these days, I'm over it in like five minutes, but maybe that's part of being 42. Um, but I, you know, nothing bothers me that much these days. And uh, I see fans going the totally opposite direction. And I'm trying to, t- I try to uh, reassure them sometimes. Um, I definitely ignore a lot of the, uh, the junk gets, that gets thrown at you. I think the more you try to go after that stuff, uh, the, the worse you look. Um, get into to arguments with people. Just, and by that, you mean you mean criticism about what you? Yeah, the or? trolling. The trolling. I don't get a lot of it, probably because I don't respond to most of it. Um, I don't get into arguments, Twitter wars, Facebook wars. I don't like that. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't make you look good. Um, so, I think by ignoring a lot of that, you you know you don't show people that side of you. I end up muting the people I don't like more than blocking them. Although somebody called me a moron the other day for some very minor typo, um, but I, I had to block that person. I just try to do it different ways of uh, connecting with uh, the people on Twitter, with the, the contests, um, the, the UD Twitter awards, which I've done five or six years now. Um, we have a Twitter bat- basketball game, as you know, mm-hmm. um, different things like that to, uh, uh, to, to interact with people. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it was a challenge. And I think I decided early on, the a very uh, specific way of going, going about it. Do I mean, do you follow, do you, do you, I mean, look at other sports writer accounts or other people that are kind of even semi influencers on, on like Instagram yeah, definitely. And, kind of, and pick up things like, Hey, you know, I should start doing this. Um, borrow this here and there. I know I, one of the things I like, I think it's on uh, Instagram that you post are uh, airplane window shots. Very basic, but it's like, oh, yeah. you're, you're going there and then you're going to cover the game. And like, but that right. puts me, it's like, that tells me it's going to happen. Look forward to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very important too, because the newspaper, you know, is paying to send me to all these games. So you want people to know that you're on your way and, you know, you know, one of the few guys who get to go to all the games. So, um, it's kind of a, just a, a way to share the trip, share the experience. Um, the bigger the trip, the more I probably share like Maui. I'm sure I went overboard with the number of uh, beach photos I shared, but you know, it was important to, uh, <laughs> to make the most of that trip out there. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, and I just love traveling too. So I'd probably be doing that anyway, but, um, as far as watching other writers accounts, uh, media types, I definitely do. And you definitely notice the people who come across as jerks and, um, you know, I think that has its place too, because people respond to that. Uh, people respond to the, uh, the talking heads who say stuff just to get attention. Um, they may not agree with all that stuff, but they responded to it and that's what they want. So, uh, that's another way of going about it, I guess. Absolutely. Well, uh, David, we're, we're almost at the end here. How are you holding up over there? All right. All right. I'm, uh, almost finished with my beer. So we been, uh, been on, nursing, nursing it a little bit. I was going to say, let's get it going. You're from OU, right? Yeah. But, uh, one or two beers a day. Well, not every day, but, uh, that's, I rarely go beyond that. <laughs> these days because these are not natty lights or budweiser's menu that's they're right. not they're not uh red dogs or what else were we drinking back in the day uh schlitz well, any schlitz uh yeah probably probably Mickey's. the cheap beer miller light no i'm uh, old and drinking good beer yes we're gonna finish up um with a little bit of rapid fire are you ready for this I think so. Uh, that doesn't sound depends like on what you're asking me. <laughs> I'll try my best. We will attempt to rather we will not dive into rapid fire. We will attempt to stumble through rapid fire. Here we go. The best game, any sport that you've ever covered. Maybe your well, let me rephrase that. Your favorite game of any sport that you've ever covered. Oh, I gotta go with the most famous game I've covered for my most important beat. Uh, Dayton versus Ohio State, V. Sanford shot uh, in the last seconds, first round of the NCAA tournament in 2014. That's hard to beat, and maybe it would have, maybe they would have beaten, beaten it this year, but we never got a tournament. Um, that was a great ride, a great uh, tournament experience, and I probably covered better games. You know, I remember some great Wittenberg games where you know they, one one time they came back from like 31 down. Um, I've covered no hitters at Great American Ballpark, but as far as uh, having everything being a great game, a great finish, and a very important game, I'll go with that Dayton Ohio State game. The story that you've written that you are most proud of? Um, I'll go back way back to uh, covering the Daytona 500 in uh, 2001 when Dale Earnhardt died. I was I didn't know anything about racing, certainly not much about Dale Earnhardt, uh, but I had to write a column that day and. I remember I was very sick, coughing like crazy in the press box. Uh, it wasn't the coronavirus. This was 19 or 2001, so 19 years ago. <laughs> um, and uh, put out a, a column that I liked and the sports editor liked, and it was in a, in a lot of scripts newspapers around the country too. Um, so I don't think anybody could tell I didn't really know much about racing and certainly one of the biggest stories in my career. What about the best photo you've ever taken? Oh my, that's really hard. Oh, geez. What would be on my wall if I could pick one? Probably wouldn't even necessarily be a, the best photo, but just a famous photo. Or favorite, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, and probably the most famous photo is on Larry Hanskin's book. It was on the front page of our uh, famous uh, uh, front page in 2014 when Dayton beat Ohio State. Same game. Uh, the University of Dayton headline, I didn't write that. I have anything to do with the headline, but the photo underneath it was mine. So, uh, And that's been used a lot over the years. 
What's some of the harshest criticism you've ever faced from an editor? Oh, I have to go way back for that because my current editor is so easy to work with. John Boyle, I mean, <laughs> if I get criticism from him, it's like one line in an email and then we move on. We both work pretty, work pretty well together. Um, but I remember my first editor in Fort Wayne being uh, hard on me with some uh, grammatical errors and mistakes. I remember I got the score wrong in the very first soccer, high school soccer game I covered as an intern in Fort Wayne, and he wasn't too happy about that. So, you know, back in the, the day, there's uh, and you certainly need more criticism at that age. So, yeah, that was tough. What's the nicest thing anyone has ever said to you on social media regarding your writing? <laughs> Well, like I should print out all the things for the fridge. I mean, the Dayton fans have been so nice over the years, and and when they, when they most of the time when they when they do say something nice, I say, "Well, there's another one for the fridge," and I tag my mom in it. Although I don't think she ever gets on Twitter to see it, <laughs> but that's just my way of saying thank you. Uh, and they've said some great things over the years, uh, um, above and beyond what I could expect. And maybe one day I'll go back and copy and print them all out uh, for the scrapbook. Make a quilt out of it maybe right? yeah a quilt there you go <laughs> that would be probably be a little bit too uh too uh, narcissistic though <laughs> um for okay for for those listening to this that don't know w- what is the the plight with Wright state and dayton men's basketball programs not playing each other because i want to ask you if you think that game will ever be played again <laughs> Explain that a little bit to the audience for the, for those who don't know. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know if ever I would ever put, ever say ever because it's a long time, but uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Although I've gone out of my way to support it over the years, certainly would be good for the newspaper uh, to have both of our teams in one uh, arena, um, and it would make for a lot of great headlines and a lot of great angles. Um, and I'm all about the newspaper. I don't care about either of those programs. I just care about the newspaper. I'm just kidding. Uh, it was funny. I was talking to uh, Bob Grant's wife the other day, the Wright State AD, uh, for a different story on uh, local pediatricians in Dayton, and we got started talking about the Gem City Jam. And I admitted to her that I pushed a Dayton fan to start the Gem City Jam Twitter account, just so every time we talked about it, I could tag a Twitter account. Um, so that Twitter account is out there thanks to me, in part because of me. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen. I mean, it's it's not a unique story. Certainly, there are plenty of. Uh, you know, Dayton deals with it itself. Double can't get rights or uh, can't get Xavier in Cincinnati or Ohio State to play them, and so it, it knows what it feels like, and um, and it doesn't care. I mean, the Dayton fans are—I don't know what the percentage would be. I would probably say, you know, forty percent would be for it, sixty against it, something like that. I don't know if I had to guess. Uh, plenty of them are for it. Certainly, there are some vocal people who just could care less. But for me, I'd love to see it. I mean, it'd be fun. Wright State is better than a lot of the non-conference teams Dayton plays. And honestly, is if if it's not going to derail any Dayton season if they lose to, to Wright State. There are plenty of other games on their schedule to make up for that. So it's not the end of the world. But, you know, that think it's pretty common thinking and scheduling. That's why we got, you know, Ohio State playing uh, Bowling Green and Miami in football every year. Haven't lost to those teams in a hundred years. They still play them. You know, they could be playing teams that are more equal to them. You know, Dayton doesn't want to play Wright State in part because they know Wright State will be the Super Bowl for Wright State, and they will get their best shot. Um, I remember when 
Dayton almost lost to Miami. Archie Miller's like, that's it. We're not playing them again. And that's kind of the thinking. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think it'll ever happen, but uh, it would have been fun. It would have been fun in the NCAA tournament this year. I don't think it would have happened. Well, for one, because Wright State wouldn't have made it after losing the conference tournament. But it looked for a while like it might have happened, and that would have been a, that would have been a fun time. They, they did look like they were on a collision course. Yeah, um, it wouldn't. I mean, even if the Wright State had won the tournament, uh, they would have been seated too high in Dayton. Um, you know, might have been a one seed, and Wright State wasn't going to be a sixteen. Dayton might have been a two, and Wright State wasn't going to be a fifteen. So. Uh, but it was there were certainly a lot of headlines this season where I was like Dayton versus Wright State could happen. <laughs> uh, what was it like covering Urban Meyer? Oh, he's kind of like covering the president or something. Such a bigger than life figure, and so many people cover Ohio State. You know, thirty to forty people in a press conference, or twenty to thirty surrounded him with a microphone. Unless you're one of the top guys on that beat, you don't feel like you know Urban Meyer any more, any better than the fans. So, um, you know, he was, he could be a decent quote. Sometimes not, sometimes yes, but certainly you could do a, a lot. I've never had to cover anybody like Marvin Lewis or Bill Belichick. I can't imagine how hard that would be. We've been really lucky on the red speed with Dusty Baker, Brian Price, uh, Jim Riggleman, David Bell. All of those guys are great with quotes and, you know, Urban, not as good as any of those guys, but he's, he was okay and uh, certainly uh, did a lot of winning and let me uh, to a lot of great uh, trips. I got to cover the Sugar Bowl and the National Championship game, and then I got to go to the Fiesta Bowl twice and the Cotton Bowl once. Uh, so that was a, a great four-year run. Uh, I don't know if I'll get to be go to any more bowl games anytime soon, but those, those, those were great experiences. Be honest on this one. Have you ever in your career – cheered from the press box no no that's pretty easy not to do <laughs> you may cheer for storylines uh um or things to happen in your in your mind but no not actually cheering no you might react to something like wow you know or, or uh smile at a player go whoa stuff like that but no no cheering that's pretty uh you don't even really see it even uh you know Less experienced people, uh, it'd be pretty rare to see something like that. Um, personally, you know, wouldn't bother me if I saw somebody. I, nothing really bothers me. So if I saw like a, a student reporter cheering or something, whatever, I don't care. Some guys would get offended by it, but you know, you know, that's drilled into you so well that yeah, you don't, you don't cheer. The unflappable David Jablonski. Yeah, right, yeah. Last, last question of rapid fire: What was the worst? pregame media food spread you were ever served and did you eat it anyway <laughs> i don't know what the worst would be i mean probably the worst is just no food at all when you're when you're hungry but uh i'm also a guy who just doesn't expect it if there is food great if not you know you don't have to feed me i'm perfectly capable of finding a meal on my on my own before the game um, all i need is a chair and wi-fi and honestly i don't even need a chair i've sat on the floor many times to write stories so uh, Wi-Fi, honestly, I don't even need Wi-Fi to, anymore. That's happened a couple of times because I've got the, the Wi-Fi hotspot. So as long as I can get cell phone connection, I'm good there too. So um, honestly, just let me into the building. That's all I care about. <laughs> just give me a, a credential. Um, we get David, fed, here's a pen and a carrier pigeon. Get it done. Yeah, right. We get fed so good at so many times, though. I mean, the best is a lot easier. That's the best. That's the easier question. The best is, are those bowl games. 
Um, the national championship game, they had a little candy bar buffet all week, and I was there for like five nights in Dallas. You know, a waffle of like a king. I want to hear about sludge you were served. No, yeah, no, those you don't remember. You remember the good stuff, the free alcohol throughout those bowl weeks, the beer, anything you wanted. I mean, you know, it's it's amazing we survived. The best is the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they have this little uh, media hospitality suite at the Camelback Inn, which is a fantastic place. And then um, it is a room full of TVs and potato chips. Even after it wasn't sponsored by Tostitas, they still had hundreds of bags of potato chips around this this little room, uh, plus lots of beer. So, uh, yeah, some good times uh, at those bowl games. Doesn't sound half bad at all. No. Um, we, are, we are at uh, the end here. I'd like to thank our guest, expert sports writer, David Jablonski, for joining us here on Let's Ask an Expert. David, uh, we've talked about your social media channels. Where can people follow you on social media? David P. Jablonski, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I also have a Facebook page if you search David Jablonski Sports Writer, though really that's just a bunch of links. Uh, don't have time to run all three of those accounts. So Twitter is the best one, Instagram. Honestly, this time of year, I'm not shooting as many photos because I'm stuck at home for the most part. Uh, so you're mainly going to see photos of my kid. Uh, but, uh, you know, when sports get back, you'll see a lot of photos, too, of whatever I'm covering. So uh, David P. as in Pat Patrick Jablonski. And I'm going to give you the last word on the show. Second to last word. I'm going to do a sign off, of course. Um, do with it what you please. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Good luck. I'm glad to be uh, honored to be this the second guest on this. And uh, uh, honestly, I'm not listening to as many podcasts right now because I'm not driving as much. And that's where I listen to my podcasts. But I will subscribe to you right next to the, the Scrubs Rewatch podcast that I just subscribed to and the Sopranos one, which is another that's good one. Praise, man. I mean, there's a lot of good podcasts out there. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you can get this one going and uh, – do some big things. Um, glad to be in on in on it early. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, that is it for episode two of Let's Ask an Expert. We will see you next time on the show.